If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I'll give you fair warning this morning. I'll tell you a little bit about my wife. My wife eats uh, fireballs when I'm preaching. And so it depends on uh, how many points I have in my outline. It depends on how many fireballs she takes out to eat. And so I have two points this morning. So she'll take out three fireballs because she says I preach longer with two points than I do with others. But I did tell her that I have three subpoints under each point, and so she was a little better. So uh, maybe the Lord willing, we'll get out of here at a decent hour, but if not, we'll set under the word of the Lord as we worship together this morning. <clears throat> now, I promise my voice is a little bit weak. I may have to stop and cough a little bit this morning. I picked up a cold this week, and I'm just about over it, but my voice is still just a touch weak. But uh, wonderful weather changes and what it does to our voices and all. But uh, let's, uh, let's go to the word of the Lord, Luke chapter 15, picking up at verse 11. We're looking at a parable that's very familiar to all of us. We have been around church life, any of you probably heard the story of the prodigal son. Now I like to change that and state instead of being the prodigal son, it's the parable of the loving father. This parable is more about the father rather than the son, but as I preach through books of the Bible, I've been in the book of Luke, I think I'm in my fifth year of preaching through the book of Luke. Uh, Before I was called to be an associational missionary here, I'd started preaching the Gospel of Luke at our church in Broxton. And since I've been in Tattnall Evans, I've continued just to preach right on through the book of Luke as I've had the opportunity to stand in pulpits around the association. And I've gotten to Luke 15. And the first two uh, uh, you'll see in this chapter, chapter 15, there are two parables that begin it about the lost coin and the lost sheep. And we come to a change here in Luke 15, verse 11. Instead of being lost, we're talking about one that was there that went astray. The prodigal. Now I want you to note as we read through here this morning, note that there's never a time that the son is not called a son. He didn't walk away from the presence of the father he was still a son now this is talking to those wayward believers those folks who are genuinely children of God who for one reason or the other have stepped away from the faith now not from salvation because we're very secure in what the Bible teaches that once you ask Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life you're eternally secure then and for always. And it's not dependent on our actions, it's depending, dependent upon the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. My salvation is not based on what I do, my salvation is based on the fact that Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross for me. And I'm secure in that, not because of anything I do, but what Jesus has done for me. And we need to hold on to that. But here's the reality. We all get into sin. 
And the reality of it is when sin is consuming us or when sin's got a grasp on, grasp on us, then we're just like this prodigal in this story. We've walked away from the blessings of God. Now here's what happens in this story with this young man. He walked away from the blessings that God had for him. In this story, please note that the loving Father in this passage is our Heavenly Father. It is a description of God Almighty as our Lord Jesus shared this story with the people there around him. Now we think about that. I came across something funny the other day. And I know most of you teenagers will enjoy it. It's called Seven Things You'll Never Hear Your Dad Say. Number one, I notice all your friends have a hostile attitude. I like that. <laughs> Folks, I think that's the, the challenge of our nation is everybody's got a hostile attitude. Hey, it's ridiculous the way we've gotten as a nation. But here's the reality of it. It's not Washington, D.C. that's going to change this country. It's not Atlanta, Georgia. It's not even the elected officials of Evans County and Claxton, Georgia. It will be the people of God getting real about their lives and sharing the good news of Christ out there. That's what will change America. We now, uh, well, now you're 13, princess. I want you to start dating older guys. You'll never hear a father say that. No son of mine is going to live under this roof without an earring. Why don't you, uh, why do you want to get a job? I've got plenty of money for you to spend. Y'all hear that one, teenagers? You better hold on that, parent. Your mother and I are going away for the weekend. You might want to consider throwing a party. <laughs> Here's my credit card and the keys to my car. Now go crazy. And finally, well, looks like I'm lost. I guess I'll have to stop and ask for directions. <laughs> That's not going to happen either. One thing you'll never hear your heavenly father say is, if you walk away from me, you can never come back. God will never say that. God says, whatever you've done, doesn't matter. If you'll turn and repent, you can come right back into my loving arms. Now, we all have our mind's eye of what we think about. And one of my special thoughts, when I get to feeling a little down and I need a little pick-me-up, I just have this idea of my Heavenly Father being able to come and just crawl up in his lap and my father wrap his arms around me and love on me and listen to me. I don't care what you've got going on in your life this morning. If there's something keeping you from the presence of God and the blessings of God, God's standing there with open arms to receive you back. And he wants you to come. He says, come to me, repent, come back to me. Well, as we look from this parable this morning, instead of looking through the eyes of the Heavenly Father, the Good Father, I want us to look through the eyes of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, picking up at verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. 
And now many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything to eat. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Lord, thank you for your word. And Father, as we spend the next few moments looking to your word, Father, speak to our hearts. God, if there are things that we need to turn away from this morning, if there are things that are preventing us from receiving all the blessings you want to bestow upon us, Lord, reveal that to us so we can confess it as sin, so we can repent and come back home. The Lord, teach us, for it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Well, the two things that I think we need to see in this passage this morning is first is how this young man steps away from God's blessings and how that we can step away from God's blessings. One morning, this young man, the younger son, woke up and decided that he wanted to go live in a pig pen. Now, that's not what happened, is it? But that was the result of where he was going. He got up and he decided that he, had, uh, he, he wanted his inheritance. Now, folks, think about that for a moment. He basically let, went to his dad and said, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have my inheritance. Now we see the father's reaction. The father went and he probably had to sell some livestock, had to sell some land or something. But in a few days, some days, he collected the money to give his son his inheritance and the son left. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Oh, good, good. The son goes out. But remember this, as I said earlier, he is still a child of the father. Although he squandered, he took his inheritance, he took off and he left out. His father still loved him. It said that the father would go to the fence, the, the boundary of his property every afternoon and look for this son. A desire for that son to come back. Now listen, folks, I understand some of you may have some prodigals right now in your own life. Children or grandchildren who are wayward, 
who have stepped away from the Lord, and your hope is that you keep expectingly hoping to see God make a move in their life through the Holy Spirit taking control of their lives again. But there's some lessons we need to understand with that. When they're out in the pig pen, don't go get in the pig pen with them. Let them hit the bottom. It's then that they'll turn back to the Lord. But the second thing is, is be like the Father. Have open arms when they come back. And receive them back. So how did this begin? This young man went out and squandered his inheritance. Well, the first step to walking away from the Heavenly Father is a restless attitude. It can be summarized in this statement, no fun. The younger son experienced what all young people feel at one time or the other. He got bored with family life and had uh, an urge to experience the real world. He wasn't having fun. Oh, I get so tired of hearing that. There's an idea that the Christian life is not fun. If we portray that, folks, we have messed up because being a Christian is where we can have fun because we're eternally secure. God didn't lay out rules for us to live because God didn't want us to have fun. He puts rules so that we can have fun and have it in a way that's righteous. We need to be joyous and excited. When we come to worship, we need to be people that are excited about being in the presence of God with our brothers and sisters. We should be excited to be here. I've been in ministry now 25 years. I'm in my 25th year this year. And I still get so excited when I get to stand up and proclaim God's word, I get nervous sometimes. Just nervous energy. It's because God has chosen to love me. And when we get stale in our life, it's when we get a restless spirit. Is there something better out there? We do it in our own common wording. There's a restless attitude in our country. There's a restless attitude that even comes into our families, into our homes. We talk about marriages and the seven-year itch. We get bored with our marriages. If you're bored in your marriage, spark it up. Don't let those kind of thoughts entertain in your mind. It begins, sin begins with a thought in our minds. And we got to get rid of that stuff. That's the reason the disciplines of having a prayer time and a, and a daily quiet time, a time to study God's word is so important to us. Now I promise you I am not a morning person. But I have learned through my, I used to say if I got my Bible study in, didn't matter if I did it morning or night, I don't agree with that anymore. I need my quiet time in the morning times to get out and get my attitude right to start out the day. And I can tell those mornings, now listen, I'm not perfect at it. I strive to have a daily quiet time. It doesn't happen every day. Didn't happen last Wednesday morning when I had to be on the road at four o'clock in the morning. I probably needed, I had to go to Atlanta and drive. I had to confess sin. <laughs> Anytime you get within 30 miles of Atlanta and 30 miles north of Atlanta, oh my goodness. I tell Lynn, if I had to live in that traffic up there, I would be in jail. But we need those daily times to get our minds right, get our hearts focused. 
We, we hear all these things. I'm trapped. You know, a husband and wife that gets into marriage trouble just didn't wake up one morning and decide that they were going to get divorced. It began with a thought in the mind. Restlessness is the feeling we're missing out on fun. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, discover this human hunger. Eve, the serpent told Eve, look, look, here's this fruit over here, it's good, it'd be fun to partake of. He planted a thought in her mind and she goes and she disobeys God. The reality of it, man, it's real quick for us to jump on. Look, but go back and read Genesis there. It said, and she gave to her husband who was with her. He was there. He could have stopped his wife at any time. But now what did Adam do? He turned around and tried to blame God for the sin of Eve. God, it's the woman you gave to me. You know, and that all began. Her partaking of the fruit in the garden began with a thought in her mind. How good it would be. We all have this tendency. Over 200 years ago, the hymn writer Robert Robinson spoke for all of us when he wrote, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to lead the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Reality is we battle with the flesh every day. And we have, to, we have to understand that. There are things out there that look attractive, that look fun, that will carry us further than we ever want to go. And what happens is when we take our eye off of our Savior for a split second and we focus on things of the world, we'll get distracted and we entertain an idea in our mind in that restlessness. It's dangerous. It'll pull us away from home. It'll carry us down. Teenagers, one of the, the, the things that you better watch out, children, that you better watch out for is when you graduate from high school and you get ready to go off to college, there are professors in those schools that don't believe what you believe this morning. And they're going to try to pull you down a path that you know better. And there's some that will be that will just not stand up. They'll entertain. And once you hear that thought and you don't stand up against that thought, you'll entertain that thought again. And that bad teaching will draw you down a path that will carry you away from home. It said that the greatest fall off of church attendance happens when students leave high school and go to college. Now, I think that's a statement that we need to understand as a church. We better be indoctrinating these kids what they believe. And you heard me say the word indoctrinating. They need to know why they're Christians. We don't need to just talk about it. We need to teach them what it means to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to run, lay back on mom and dad's faith but to have and own their own faith. We've got to stand up and get in the minds of our young the importance of living godly lives. Secondly, 
The next downward step is reckless living. This young man entertained an idea. He thought it'd be great to get his money and go out and be free. Away from his dad's rules. Away from restrictions. He wanted to go out and live his life the way he wanted to. No rules. The Bible simply says here he wasted all of his money on wild living. Now we don't know how much money he had, but it must have been a pretty substantial amount of money. But you see, he went and bought the flashy new car, new clothes, and, and he headed to the hot spots to party hard. He turned the MP player on, full blast singing, I'm free, free riding. He had a pocket full of money, so it was party time. Well, here's how we modernize this. That's exactly what happens in our culture around us. We get a little bit of money when we're younger. We'll go break all the rules. Rules that our parents have laid out. Rules that we know are right. And this young man was partying. He was seeing the bright lights, loud music, and all the lights. In the late nights, he was going to have fun, fun, fun till his daddy took the T-bird away. Well, his daddy wasn't around anymore. He decided to reject his dad. He didn't want to hear from his dad anymore. He took that money and he went running. We spent all of his money. In verse 30, as you go back in, deeper into this passage and you see the reaction of the son, and that's a whole other sermon because, let's be real, the reaction of the son in this passage is the typical reaction of the church. That the son represents in here us today and our reaction. When a prodigal comes back, when a, when a person comes back to church and confesses, we don't stand in judgment. We wrap our arms around those folks and love on them and help them grow in lordship. And folks, we've got to be receiving like that because our Heavenly Father is and we're to emulate Him. He receives us back no matter what we've done. If we're broken and we confess our sin, God wraps His arms around us. And our churches have got to be the same way. Well, He ran out of money. He was finally free. He was free from all the world's constraints. He had no money. He had no home. So what happens? I can imagine all those friends that were hanging around when he was throwing out them dollar bills are no longer there. This young man's broke, had nothing. And he goes and he gets hired on to work at a pig farm. It didn't get any worse than that for a Jew because a pig was a ceremonially unclean animal. He's down there, he's slopping the hogs. He said he's so hungry that he even considered eating the pods that the pigs were eating. Now let's put that in South Georgia vernacular so we understand it. He was so hungry he considered eating the pig slop. But the farmer that he worked for wouldn't allow it. He's in that pig farm that, that for Jew, that ceremonially unclean, he was unclean before God. 
He had walked away from his father. The Bible says there is pleasure in sin for a season. That means that sin's pleasure is only temporarily and sometimes only momentarily. Yes, there was the drunken parties, but there's always the hangover. Yes, there's the snort of cocaine, but there's always the habit that grabs you. And we could go on and on talking about sin and how it will destroy our lives. You know, sin's like a lure that a fisherman uses. Fishermen go out trying to catch that big old bass in that pond. He didn't throw a a hook out there, a plain old dull hook. That bass will look at that thing and run away from it. You got to put something out there that's attractive. We got a wrong idea about what sin is. We got a wrong idea about what Satan is or how Satan appears to us. We got this idea that Hollywood promotes to us that Satan's the, the guy with pointed uh, horns and uh, the, you know, the stake and, and a red suit. That's not Satan. Satan wouldn't ever get us. That scares to death. We'd run away from that. How Satan attracts us is beginning those thoughts in our minds, those things that are most attractive to us that will cause us to take our focus off the Lord. Then we get our thoughts in our mind and we go to this second step. We go live reckless lives. You know, the way that we continue on moving away from God is the third step away from God is a ruined life. Here this young man is in the pigsty. The problem with sin is it never truly satisfies. It gets you high, it gets you a thrill, but it's never enough. You want more. I've always heard with addicts that the thing is they're always trying to experience a better high. It's never enough. Spend $1,000 a day on cocaine and it's still not enough. Well, that's just like sin. It is never enough. But listen to me this morning. God's grace is enough. God's love is enough. Sin is never enough. This young man is in pig pen. He was just gross. But you see, there's something that finally happens. It comes to the point of total desperation. Reynald III was an obscure duke in the 14th century. He reigned in the area now called Belgium. Reynald had one terrible vice. He loved to eat. Well, there was a coup in his kingdom, and his brother came in and seized the kingdom, and he built a jail cell around Reynald's room, inside of his room. It had no bars on the windows, no door on the, the jail cell. And the brother said, you can have your kingdom back when you can walk out of that door. But every day the brother would send this scumptious food and Reynald would eat and eat and eat instead of getting smaller so he could escape his prison, he got bigger. And he finally died inside of his own bedroom a prisoner to his lack of self-control. 
Folks, that's what sin will do to us. It will cause us to lose any blessings that God may want to bestow upon us. You see, this young man had thought that he would go out and seize control. He knew better than God. But in Galatians 6, 7, it says, Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. Over the years, I've seen a lot of prodigals. I've seen people that will wander off, think that they can do life better. They don't need God. They got their fire insurance paid up. They asked the Lord to save them, so they're secure, and they can go live what the way they want to. If you don't hear anything from me this morning, understand this. The mark of a true Christian is one that will want to walk in lordship. Want to grow in lordship. Never settle with where we are in our place with our Christian life. If you think you've arrived in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, you are sadly mistaken. Because there's always something in your life that the Lord can work on. I'm amazed at how the Lord works on me as I study and prepare sermons, how the Lord will take those verses to work in my own life. In, in this passage, the Lord showed me things that I may be looking at instead of looking to Him. And we need to have goals and priorities in our life, but folks, when it starts controlling our life, we're in trouble. And our lives will lead to ruin like this young man. But secondly, this morning, there's steps to return home to God. If you've wandered away from God and allowed sin to take control of your, of your life, it's not hopeless. The son took three specific steps back. The first one is this. The first step is to realize. In verse 17, you see this young man, he came to his senses. This is the turning point in this parable. Before you can turn to God, return to God, you've got to recognize that what you're involved in is sin. Notice verse 17, it says, But when he came to himself, when he finally realized that he had sinned, he was in trouble, he came to his senses. And he says, I want to climb out of this pig pen. I want to get out of this sty. I want to leave this terrible life. I want to get out of this point in my life where I'm tempted to reach down and eat the corn cob that the pig is leaving behind. He came to the point of total desperation, P-O-T-D. <clears throat> it finally clicked. You know, that life back home wasn't so bad. And then he realizes in that moment, he realized how bad he had sunk, how far he got down in the, in the pig pen, in the yuck. And he says, there's better. My father's servants are better than where I am now. And he realizes that he's in trouble. It's total desperation. I, he, he misses his home. He wants to go home. He misses his mama's cooking. I want to go home. God meets people when they realize 
they've reached the POTD, point of total desperation. Before he reached that point, he was proud. His attitude is, I'll never go crawling back to my dad. Admit I was wrong. I'd, I'd soon die in this pig pen. But you see, it all changed when it finally clicked with him how wrong he was. The only way that we can approach God is in humility. Remember the story of King David? And we're told in his life he was a child of God. He loved the Lord. He served the Lord. But he walked away from, the Lord, uh, from God's rules and committed adultery and murder. He hid it for a long time, but finally he came to his point of total desperation. Remember when his child died? And he repented and he broke down and wept before God and asked God to forgive him. Listen to the words of David in Psalm 51. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Let me ask you this. If there's habitual sin in your life this morning, what's it going to take for the light bulb to come on? Now listen, we don't have to get to that point of total desperation to make a change. But I will tell you this, if there's habitual sin in your life this morning and you don't step away from that, confess it as sin and come running back to your heavenly Father, come running back home, you will go down the path to total desperation. We have to realize it. We have to call it what it is. We have to call sin, sin. We step all around calling sin what it is. We like to sugarcoat. Oh, that was just a little white lie. No, it's sin. It's lying. But be careful, folks. We can start... We can start logicking everything. We can start justifying every sin. And when we realize it is sin, we need to call it that and confess it and turn away from the second step in this road back home is to repent. Look at verse 18. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, notice the repentance here, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Now, that's good, but I want you to notice the next phrase here in verse 19. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. See, there are two good repentance, two truthful statements here. I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you, Father. But verse 19 is not a true statement. I am no longer worthy. Here's the reality. None of us are worthy. But once God receives us and adopts us into his family, we are worthy then. We are his. We are in his arms, protected by his grace. We are, we are one of the children of God. Make me like a hired servant, he says here. Folks, you'll never be a hired servant. I, I, I get upset when I hear people say this. And please understand my heart in this. When someone will pass along, God gained a new angel. No, he didn't. If you're under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, you're above the angels. You're an adopted child of God. You're a saint. You're not an angel. 
Angels are created servants for the saints. The angels can't be saved. We can be. Jesus didn't shed his blood for the angels. You're more valuable to God than an angel. Our God loves us so much that if we will <coughs> turn and repent, admit that we've been rebellious, we've sinned against God, we call that confession. But you see, confession's not enough. There's another side of that, that coin, and it's repentance. It's not enough just to say, God, forgive me of my sins. No, it requires getting up, turning away from it, going back home. We must confess and repent. When you confess your sin, you're notifying God what you've done. By the way, he already knows. I don't know how we think we're hiding it from God. We're notifying God. He knows. But when we repent, we turn away and we show God that I'm serious about this. Notice he says that I confess my sin to heaven, and then he says I confess to my Father. All sin is against God. <clears throat> but when we hit confess to God and some sin is against another person, we need to confess to that person. We need to confess in the circle that's involved. No larger, no smaller. I always say that if it's public sin, it needs to be confessed publicly. If it's private sin, you confess it to God. But if you've sinned against one of your brothers and sisters in this church or another brother or sister that may go to another church, you need to go to that person and confess your sin to them also. I remember one time... One Sunday morning, years ago, right about the time the Lord was dealing on me, calling me into ministry. Nan and I were teaching youth over at First Baptist Church, Alma. And I was preparing that Sunday morning up, having my quiet time, and I'm praying, Lord, use me this morning to teach, and this, that, and the other. And during that quiet time, the Lord told me, he said, Freddie, you got to go ask this man's forgiveness. Whoa, God, what are you saying? You got to go ask this man for forgiveness. I said, God, that man wronged me. And he had. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, you got a bad attitude toward your brother. You got to go ask for forgiveness. I get to church that Sunday morning, and guess who the first person I see? Yep. Walk up to him and said, Brother, I got to ask for your forgiveness. I've had a bad attitude towards you. He says, Freddie, what in the world? Why? I said, You remember this time, so and so, that you did this to me? And he did not even remember doing it. 
It was a slight. It wasn't intentional. And I had went about seven or eight months with a rotten attitude towards that man because of something he didn't even recognize he had done. See, yes, the Lord whipped me over that. I had to confess it as sin before my holy God, and I had to go beg that man's for forgiveness. And I can tell you, God didn't stop with that relationship. To this day, we became dear friends. That man prays every day for me. It's been going on almost 30 years now. He prays for me every day. And I could have let that relationship be ruined because I wouldn't have been obedient. I had too much pride. But this is what we're talking about here. We've got to get rid of the pride. If we offend someone, go ask for their forgiveness. But you see, we see a change in this old boy in this story. He went from give me, give me, give me, I won't, I won't, I won't. And we see when he comes back, he says, make me, make me, make me a servant. You see, and that's the change of the heart. It comes from me, me, me to God, God, God. The third and final step back to the Lord this morning is this, return, go back home. After he came to his senses, admitted his sin, he was ready for the final step. In verse 18, he says, I will arise and go. It's not enough just pray in our quiet time, Lord, forgive me of my sins. <coughs> we use that as a generic blanket. I don't think we've confessed sin until we name the sin. That's not easy, it's painful. But I promise you this, if you'll get before God and get real before God and say, God, what sins in my life, I guarantee you he'll show it to you. And then we had to confess it and return and go back home. This young man starts back home. Can you, uh, can, can you picture this? He went off prancing, excited and all when he left home. But when he comes back home, he's probably kind of downtrodden and dragging his feet and he smelled like a pig pen. I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. I've wasted many precious years. Now I'm coming home. I now repent with bitter tears. Lord, I'm coming home, coming home, coming home. Never more to roam. Open wide your arms of love. Lord, I'm coming home. Oh, what a wonderful words of that great hymn. God stands there, open arms, said, no matter what you've done, come back home. See, that's the way God responds to us today. Just like this young man in this story, our God is, will respond the same way to us. Doesn't matter what you've done. And here's the reality of it. I know this story is written and it's spoken to the son. 
is spoken to a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, someone who needs to come back home. And there may be someone here this morning that may need to get out of the pig pen and come back to the Lord. Maybe you're not <clears throat> serving the Lord with all that you can be. I don't like this terminology. We call it recommitment. The reality is we don't need to recommit. We just need to commit. We need to be on fire for the Lord and be committed to serving Him with all that we are. We're all missionaries. Every one of us here this morning. We're called to be the missionary wherever the Lord's placed us in our families, in our job setting, wherever our sphere of influence is, we're called to be missionaries. And there may be something that's preventing you from being that missionary that God's ordained you to be this morning. You may need to come back home. But listen, if you never had a home, that's the beginning. If you can't call God Almighty Father of your life this morning and knows you sat here this morning that God is not your eternal Father, you need to settle that issue this morning. And it's simple. We first admit that we're sinners. Agree with God that we have failed Him, we've rebelled against Him. Then we believe in our heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And then we confess Him as Lord of our life. The ABCs of salvation, use that in Bible school. One of the greatest little tools. Admit, believe, and confess. You may be visiting this church family for a while and know that this is your church home. You may need to place yourself as a candidate for membership in this congregation this morning. And folks, we may need to just come to this altar. There may be some confession of sin that needs to happen this morning. You say, well, Brother Freddie, I can sit right there in my pew or my chair and I can confess my sins. You sure can, but something very, very symbolic. When we come to an altar and we bend our knee, we're saying to God, we're coming home. You be obedient to the Spirit's leadership in your life this morning. If there are things that need to be made public, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that in spite of our rebellion, you stand with open arms. You are there to receive us back. You will wrap your arms of love around us. Your word tells us in 1 John that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Holy Spirit, there are things that folks need to make public for you this morning. I pray that you would give us the boldness to stand for you. Lord, not to stand before this group of people, but to stand and honor you. Whether it is confess you as Lord of our life, where it is to come back home, whether it's to join this congregation, whether it's to come to this altar and pray, Lord, give us boldness to follow after your heart. For it's in Christ Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.